Good morning, everybody. Did my heart a lot of good to see how hard it was to keep you from talking to each other. After everyone got going, it was great to to see people continuing. Um, And so today we get the privilege to um, finish up the book of Jonah together, to dive into his word, and so that's where we are. And we will uh, finish it uh, today, and then next week we will have the privilege of hearing from uh, Craig Priestley, who uh, we as elders uh, met with uh, this past week, along with some others, uh, for two and a half hours of interrogation and uh, just pressing into his life. It was also filled with laughter and prayer and some Krispy Kreme donuts. But uh, around that time, we, thanks to Pastor Byron, um, but we want to wholeheartedly recommend um, Craig and Elizabeth Priestley to be sent out as church planters from TCC uh, to this body. So next week, Craig is going to not only be preaching, but also sharing just a little bit about his church plant so that you will kind of understand more of Uh, what God is doing in their lives, and so we can be more informed uh, senders. And so we'll have a chance to pray for them next week. Also, just a couple more things. As you look on the back of your bulletin, um, we have a men's work day on March the 7th. And then on March the 29th, we have a, a very wonderful opportunity to celebrate here in this room and maybe on the grounds, depending on the weather, Um, our 10-year anniversary. So uh, in uh, March uh, of 2005, we planted this church, and this year in March, late March, we will celebrate 10 years. And then, uh, so we're looking forward to not only a family time together, but just a celebration of what all God has done. And then on April the 12th, we will have a an outreach to our community, basically saying, it's our birthday, we want to throw you a party. So that's what we're going to do, and we'll have baptism and all kinds of food and things like that here on the grounds on April the 12th. So that's what's coming up, Uh, but now let's dive in to uh, the book of Jonah. And I want to read uh, just a little bit on Jonah 4, but the sermon will come from the entire book today. So I want to read Jonah 4 verses 5 to the end of the chapter. Word of God says this, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city, made a booth for himself there and he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city and that city of course is Nineveh. Now the Lord appointed a plant And made it come over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to to be angry and angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity or show compassion 
regarding the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Let me pray. Father, I ask, I ask that you would be so gracious to us in these moments that what we sing about would become a reality. That you would be the breath in our lungs, you would be the one that we declare, and you would be the one that we see and behold. That we would fall in love over and over again with your greatness and glory. That God, you would just capture us by your majesty, by the shocking nature of your forgiveness. That God, it would be not just a, a partial capturing, but God, it would, it would be, we would be given the strength for wholehearted surrender of every aspect, that you would expose those areas of self-righteousness and expose those areas that we are trying to cling onto that are eroding our soul. Father, please, just loosen our hands' grip upon the vices of sin. Father, I pray that you would be seen as more desirable, better, beautiful, greater than anything that we could imagine. So that as we see your compassion and your greatness, we would want to extend your greatness to those who need compassion. So Father, make yourself known now and safe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So... As we finish up this book, a couple questions came to my mind. What if you had 90% of a car engine? What would you have? You'd have a broken car. What if you had 75% of the story? You'd have a lot of miscommunication. You'd have some holes in your story, but you'd have a broken story. What if you have 70% of a combination to a lock? You'd have a broken plan to get into whatever you were planning on getting into. And what if you have partial surrender to God? You have a broken relationship. And the book of Jonah is screaming at us over and over. To say, God is faithful to His name and He has a great resolve and a commitment that His people will find their deepest joy in being wholly His. And so, as we look at the book of Jonah, I've just simply entitled this sermon, Whole. That God wants our whole selves. And so there are three main ideas that I want to kind of hit at today. And that is that God wants our whole heart. And we'll see that in chapters 1 and 4. The second idea is that God forgives the whole of our sin. And we see that in chapter 2. And that God commissions us to extend the whole of the gospel to the whole earth. 
chapter 3 and 4. Now what's interesting is that as we read the book of Jonah, we don't have the whole story. It's basically like we've just read chapter 5 of a 12 chapter book. And so at the end, <laughs> when you read what we read, you're like, that is a lame way to finish a story. <laughs> but what is meant to be known is that that's not the story. It's the chapter. It's leaving us here that we might read more. That we might continue in the story. And so what I want to do here, even though we have spent serious time in looking at chapter 1 in and of itself, in chapter 2 in and of itself, in chapter 3 in and of itself, in chapter 4 in and of itself, we need to see Jonah chapter 5 in its context of the whole of the book, what are known as the minor prophets. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. That is one book, 12 chapters, so to speak. And as we look at Jonah's fit into the whole, I think we will begin to see how the messages of Jonah are just personified. They're magnified. It's like amplification as you see it in the context of the whole. Because as the writers in the, of the Hebrew Bible continue they communicate messages through repeating messages and then expounding those. And so that's what we'll get to see today. Let's look at number one point today in chapter one of Jonah. And that is God wants our whole heart. God wants our whole heart. If you recall in chapter one of Jonah, Jonah was told by God and you see it in the very first verse. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, Go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. God is ready to deal with their evil. But Jonah in verse 3 says, I'm going my own way. And he goes to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Repeat it again, away from the presence of the Lord at the end of verse 3. As he does, he's on a ship. You know the story. Uh, many of you, he's on a ship. The ship gets tossed around by God as he brings waves at the ship. And what is ironic is the sailors who are not of God's people. They're not the people of Israel. They're the ones that see their desperate need and call out to their false gods and find no relief. And then as they kind of cast lots, they realize everything's pointing to Jonah. They go at Jonah. And as they look at Jonah, Jonah says this in verse 9, And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Everything that's tossing you around, the d destination you long to get to, that's my God's creation. And they were terrified. What's interesting is every time that this word, the Hebrew, when 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 a Jewish person describes themselves as a Hebrew, they're always talking to the foreigner, those who are away from the people of God. And this is a major emphasis in the book of Jonah. 
the ironic twist that it is the people of God, Jonah as their representative, the people of God that are the rebellious ones. And it's the nations that are seen in the book of Jonah as being quicker to repent and turn. Because what happens at the end of chapter 1 is the sailors, they're the ones that are found giving sacrifices and vows to the Lord saying this is God, the one that we want to follow. Asking for forgiveness of sin, of throwing Jonah over because they knew they were destining him to death. The irony of ironies as you jump into chapter 3 is that Jonah speaks a message of repentance and who's quick to turn at that message? It is Nineveh. But then in chapter 4 that we just read, what happens? Jonah's angry that God was compassionate. It is Jonah as the representative of Israel as the representative of the people of God that is the one that is rebellious. The ones who had experienced God's grace over and over and over were the ones that were seen running. And the ones who were hearing the message for the first time were the ones that were seen bowing and turning. And so as you read... This book of the Minor Prophets. This is a message that comes up over and over again. The very first chapter in the book of Hosea begins to say the people of Israel are ultimately prostituting themselves, giving themselves to foreign gods, so much so that they are going to be called not my people. Because they're not acting like my people. And I'm not going to be their God. Because they've rebelled. Saying phrases like that. And yet, what is so remarkable is that because God has promised to keep a people for Himself, He had a strong resolve to never give up going after Him. And so the book of Joel, Hosea Joel, the second chapter, it shows God's commitment even in the midst of promised judgment on the day of the Lord, God's commitment and resolve to frustrate Israel's path so that they would turn and run after God. As we said about Jonah, just as we saw God throws winds and waves at Jonah, God clogs your way and frustrates your day in order that you might be wholly His. That's what God does. He will stop you in your tracks he will make it feel like you are just spinning your wheels. He will put up barrier after barrier that you might not settle for 70%. Because partial surrender is a broken relationship. God wanted Jonah. And Jonah as a picture of Israel. And Israel as a picture of God's people. God wants God's people to be wholly surrendered to Him. And what's remarkable is this. When you get to the last chapter of the book, Malachi, chapter 12, the people of God have been exiled 
That's the people of Israel. They have been rebellious, 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 rebellious. So he sends in individuals to come, the Babylonians, to tear down the temple, to send them out of the promised land, and they're exiled away from where they were to be. They lost everything. And then God brings them back. And yet Malachi records, Malachi records that even after going through all of this, they are still turning aside from their God. Listen to it in Malachi 3.7. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord. One of the most historic moments in all of TCC preaching history was when Travis Williams used the phrase, spin like a nin. It was beautiful. When he said that the Ninevites needed to turn from their sin, and if they did, the Lord would relent from, their, um, the Lord would relent from His promise to Punish them. And so he said, we needed to turn like the Ninevites or spin like a nin. I found that very, very helpful and memorable. (laughs) It really was a great moment. But this is the message not just of Jonah, but a message from the whole of the book. Malachi is saying at the end, you have turned aside And not just you, but your fathers. Story after story after story. Your history has been recorded. It has been told to you over and over. You have been turning aside from me for generations. It led you to be exiled. I was gracious to bring you back. Turn to me and I will return to you. We were spending some time as a family just plugging through the Bible. And we are reading in a, uh, a kid's Bible that's a little bit more detailed. It's a, the action story Bible. And we got to the story of Gideon. And as we were reading the story of Gideon together, <clears throat> here's what we hear. Judge after judge after judge does evil in the sight of the Lord. And so they are punished. This is history. Over and over, Israel is punished. But then God in His grace raises up Gideon because he's committed to keep a people for his name. But the people of Gideon were being bullied. They were being, or the people of Israel, Gideon as their leader, They were being bullied by the Midianites. And the Midianites kept oppressing them over and over. And so God had to not just raise up a judge, but He had to raise up such a way that the people of Israel would win a battle. But the problem was the Midianites were great in number and they were great in strength. And so Gideon, after being convinced over and over through trying to kind of test the Lord, he has 32,000 soldiers sitting in front of him. 32,000. And God says, I want to do it with less. So, you need to ask these 32,000. If anybody's afraid, you should just tell them not to fight. 22,000 bail. 
They leave. We're not doing this deal. So you're left with 10. Gideon's like, okay, we can still do this with 10. And then he says, no, that's still too many. And so he says, you need to get some water. Whoever drinks with their hands like this, disqualified. Whoever gets down, and kids love this story, and they lap it up like a dog, those are the ones I'm going to keep. 300 are left. To defeat a people that have been bullying and oppressing, crushing and killing for years. And so God says this, in the dead of night, blow the trumpet and crush the jars. And then with your left hand, you raise up a torch and you yell out in unison for the sword of the Lord and for Gideon we will fight. And they blow those trumpets and they crash those jars and they raise up the torches. And the Midianites are so terrified, they begin to kill each other. And they are defeated ultimately by God, but they're defeated by themselves. They implode, so to speak. And the 300 run after them in charge. And you know how the story ends? And a few years later, after God had won that victory, the people of Israel forgot their God. And I just looked at my kids and I said, how did that happen? How did that happen? How does it happen when you see such amazing power, such undeniable deliverance? And just a few years later, They're forgetting their God. A great dialogue ensues, you know. How did they forget their God? And of course, the question must hit right at our hearts. How do we forget God? They forgot God because... God was not regularly treasured. They forgot God because they were not in God's Word. They forgot God because they were not sharing God from generation to generation to generation. They forgot God because they were lured away by other things. How do we forget God? We get lured by other things. Our own way becomes more important than God's way. We forget we've been forgiven of much and we let bitterness set in. Before we jump up in shock at Israel's forgetfulness, Jonah's forgetfulness of God's mercy, Israel's forgetfulness of God's mercy in the book of the twelve, in the whole of the Bible, is meant to ask us the very same question. How do we forget our God? And so God, desiring that we would be wholly His, He ends the book in Malachi, chapter 4, verse 4, and He says this, So remember, remember the law of My servant Moses and the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb. Remember. Don't forget, remember. Remember what? 
Remember what I told you. Go to the Word. Remember my faithfulness. Rehearse it over and over. Remember my promises. Remember the commands that I give you that will keep you safe. Remember them. Don't forget. Remember them. Where the people of God go to have their memories jogged and where the people of God to go in order to carry God out from generation to generation. Where the people of God to go so that they don't forget God and their marriages are at work. They are to go to the Word of God. What God has given us to show us Himself. He says to us, do not forget God. And you won't forget Him if you're in His Word. Jonah had forgotten God's grace. Jonah desired to run away from God, showing a picture of Israel's rebellion. Ironically, even in the midst of the nations who had not had this storied history of grace, Jonah is seen as the picture of our hearts needing a Savior. That we might not forget our God. And so the very last few verses of the book of Malachi. Point to a promised future restoration. A promised restoration when God will send a prophet. Who will be the forerunner to the Messiah. It was called Elijah at the end of. Malachi, we know him as John the Baptist, who is the forerunner to Jesus, and it is Jesus who is our only hope in the midst of our forgetfulness that we might find forgiveness and mercy. And so the first main goal in the book of Jonah, and therefore in the whole of the minor prophets, is that we would be wholly His because God wants our whole heart. But what happens when we don't give Him our whole heart? We must fall on the mercy of our God and go to our Savior. And that's the second point. That God forgives the whole of our sin. You see in chapter 2 and leading into chapter 2 that God appointed a fish to swallow up Jonah And Jonah was in the belly of that fish three days and three nights. And while he was there, Jonah, in all of his rebellion, didn't know where else to go. He prays to his God. He prays to his God. Gross sin committed by Jonah. He was supposed to be the spokesperson for God. And instead, he runs away from the one who was giving him the word. Don't forget the word. And instead, Jonah pushes it away and runs. And so in chapter 2, we hear Jonah regularly calling out about how this experience is like a death experience. He is brought to the end of himself. And it's when we are brought to the end of ourselves, when the lights click on, that we have forgotten God, that we are just partially giving our lives to Him. That's when you find Jesus is really precious. When you're at the end of yourself is when the Savior gets really big. 
And it's just so beautiful that God is there, not having given up on Jonah. But God is there when Jonah calls out. God is there when you call out. Call out to Him while you have breath. What's interesting, you see this same thing happening in the book of Hosea. Chapter 1 of the book. And I have a really long passage I'm going to read for you. It's going to be here. But I just want you to listen. I want you to listen. At how these two themes are brought together. The forgetfulness of the people of Israel and their rebellion. And God who forgives the whole of our sin. Hosea chapter 2 verse 13 says this. After Israel has already been called, you are not my people because you are giving yourself over as a prostitute. You are betraying the covenant that you have said you would be a part of. And here's the summary of that. God says, because of your rebellion, I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals. Because they were worshiping false gods, literally bowing down to false idols. When she burned offerings to them. So it wasn't just even a religious practice. There was this sense of a wholehearted commitment to this false worship, to religion. And she adorned herself with ring and jewelry. So possessions began to be what she pursued and went after. And she went after her lovers. Relationships. Sex. The commitment of wanting somebody as to be primary over God. This was just this wholehearted, wholesale of the heart to other things. And he summarizes it as, and they forgot me, declares the Lord. The book of Malachi at the end says, remember me. Remember the Word of God. The very beginning of the book says, they forgot me. The people have forgotten me. So what is God to do? He's going to punish them. And yet, because He's committed to what He said He would do, that is keep a people for Himself, and because He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, listen to the shocking nature of grace. The next verse should floor you. If in hearing these words that I'm about to read, You say, of course He did. That's what He does. You don't understand the seriousness of your sin. This kind of grace should shock you. Listen to what He says. They have forgotten me. They've disregarded me at every turn. In every relationship. Even with the things they have, they've forgotten me. Therefore, because of that, I will allure her. I'll bring her into the wilderness, a time of wandering where they can get to know me, and I'm going to speak tenderly to her and not angrily. And I will give her her vineyards, a place where fruit will grow. And I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Achor was a place where transgression happened. The sin of Achan happened. 
where he kept things for himself and he wasn't supposed to. And God killed him on the spot. It was known among the people of Israel as that was a place of judgment and punishment. And he says, I will take all of the broken past, everything that has characterized you as a failure, and I will make it a place of hope. And there, in the midst of the trudging through your own mess, I'm going to make it a hope, and there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as the time when I delivered her out of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. A relationship of intimacy. And no longer will you give me this false name of my Baal. No longer will you go after other things, but you will be wholly mine. And I will. How will those names get out of my mouth? I will remove them. I'll do that work of cleansing. And they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day. With the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the creeping things on the ground. And I will abolish the bow and the sword and the war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. This beautiful picture of the new heavens and the new earth when everything is restored. And sin is no more. And we are at home with our king. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you will know me. You who've forgotten me, you'll know me. Not just remember me, but you'll know me intimately. And he says, and in that day I will answer, declares the Lord, I will answer the heavens and the, they shall answer the earth and the earth shall answer the grain and the wine and the oil and they shall, shall answer Jezreel and I, shall, I will sow for her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. That is grace. It's the gospel. People like Jonah, who ran out of the hardness of heart, can come to God and ask for forgiveness. People like me and you are called upon in the book of Jonah to repent. To turn from the hardness of heart. To turn from the forgetfulness. To refuse for it to characterize you any longer. To commit yourself to God and His Word. To acknowledge that things or images or people have risen too high. And it is a call to repentance that you might be wholly His. And that you might experience the wholeness of His forgiveness. Church, go to Him. Go to Him. Go to Him with your guilt and your shame. Your gross, inexcusable sins against our God. It was when Jonah was in the depths of despair that he drew near to God and God forgave him. God forgave him. Many of you are there or have been there. Desperate, longing for help, hurting for forgiveness, desiring a breakthrough in sin. 
Some of you are focused so much on your past sin, you cannot get out of it and you live in condemnation. Some of you are so focused on the sins of others that you forget how bad your sin was and how much you've been forgiven. And Jonah brings them all right there in front of us and says, Turn. I am gracious. If you turn, I will relent of the disaster that I promised upon all wickedness. And so how in the world does that happen? How does he turn from being a just judge? How does he turn from that? Someone's got to pay. When a crime's committed, someone's got to go to jail for this. One of my favorite movies is National Treasure. My kids and I love it. If you've never seen it, it's a good one. I enjoy it. At the end of the movie, the one who the FBI thought was the criminal, Nicolas Cage, was found to be the one trying to preserve history. And the lead FBI agent looks at him and he says, you know, you stole the Declaration of Independence. Someone's got to pay for this. Someone must go to jail. And he says, I think I can help you with that. And he helps them locate the criminal. Why is that in there? Someone must go to jail. Because it's in the fabric of society that people must pay for their punishments. It's not just in the fabric of society, it's in the fabric of human hearts. Justice must be done. How in the world can justice be upheld and you and I be forgiven? How can he talk that way to sinners? In Hosea, how can he forgive Jonah? Because the book of Micah tells us. It's the next book. The book of Micah tells us that out of Bethlehem, out of one of the smallest places in Israel, will come forth a shepherd in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, and He will dwell secure, and great will He be to the ends of the earth, and He will be Israel's peace. That's how. The book tells us how Jonah can be forgiven. The book tells us how you and I can be forgiven. A Messiah is to come. Jesus has come. And He alone makes it possible for peace to be brought between two warring individuals. God should be at war with us for justice to be upheld. Instead, Christ had the justice poured out upon Him that we might be forgiven. Grace upon grace. That's why we are able to be here. It is the Gospel. Jesus Christ is our Savior. And you need to hear the Gospel in all of its wholeness. God made it all. We lost it all. He gave it all in His Son that we might have it all through faith in Him. Wholeness. God wants us to be wholly surrendered to Him. And in so doing, the only way that happens is through Jesus. He forgives the whole of our sin. And so, now He calls us he calls us and commissions us to extend the whole of the gospel to the whole of the earth. 
the whole of the gospel, a wholehearted submitted life who's experienced the wholehearted freedom of forgiveness has a whole message to give, a message of both judgment and mercy. And it's a message that is meant to be given to the ends of the earth. When we look at Jonah chapter 3, we see that when Jonah proclaims a message, it is a simple, short message. The message of promised judgment for anyone who doesn't wholly submit to God. When that happens, just a simple message turns the heart of some of the hardest hearted criminals in society's history. As Pastor Byron, as Travis has mentioned, I've mentioned, it's how do you compare the hardness of their heart? It's, it's ISIS, it's the Taliban, it's what, whatever kind of enemy you have in your mind or picture of vileness you have. Short message bring, brought forgiveness. A short gospel message. Powerful enough to break the hardest heart. And that is what he commissions us to give. But as you round out the end of the book, God still put a barrier in Jonah's way. He still stuck something here so that Jonah couldn't keep going because there was something deep in his heart and it was self-righteousness. It was a not wanting of the people who had been treating him poorly to be forgiven. And so how in the world will we be able to extend the whole gospel to the whole of the earth is when we understand wholly submitted to Him that we've been forgiven wholly of our sins, ultimately that we grow from bitterness to brokenness. Jonah was needing a lesson to be turned from bitterness to brokenness. Because listen to how he finishes the book of Jonah. And should I not have, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? Why does he say that? Shouldn't I pity them? Because Jonah has just experienced a millimeter's width worth of the infinity of hell. He sat underneath. Just the hair's width of God's judgment. And he was ready to say, Take me! I can't handle it anymore. I'm ready to die. God gives him a plant to give him shade and shelter. And then he removes it so that he would experience judgment. And he's now Jonah asking for mercy. Have pity upon me! And he says to Jonah, now, you've experienced a hair's width of hell. Should I not have pity and compassion upon this 120,000 plus people who will spend an eternity there if I don't have pity upon them? It is a call to Jonah to remember His own badness. That he might want not only forgiveness for his badness. But forgiveness for their badness. 
Should I not have pity on the lost of this world? God says. Isn't my grace big enough to say anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved and forgiven? And God has called upon His people to not be bitter when they are mistreated, but to be broken. So that in their brokenness, they would take the gospel, the whole gospel of judgment and mercy to the ends of the earth. That people would find forgiveness. And in heaven, there would be a representative from every nation, tribe, and tongue bowing at the feet of Christ, giving Him the praise and glory He is due. Church, it's one of the hardest things in the world. But it's one that Christ died to do in our lives. And it is one of the most shocking things to an unbelieving world around us. Is when you are mistreated, you respond not in bitterness, but in brokenness over the person's heart that has done this thing. And you desire to love and pray for your enemies rather than wanting them to get their due. When a world sees that we have been betrayed and misused and we respond in love and compassion, the window is opened for them to see our God. That's why Jesus says to the skeptic in Matthew 12 who is just trying to catch him in his words so that they might crucify him on a cross. They say, give me a sign, Jesus. Jesus says, I'm not going to give you a sign any more than that's in the book of Jonah. There's a sign there for you. That I can deliver the brokenness of humanity from death by my mercy for anyone. People of Israel and the nations who repents not only of running from me in rebellion, but also running from me and acting like they're better than someone else. Anyone who would repent And turn wholeheartedly to me. I will wholeheartedly forgive. Because just as Jonah was a picture of how God could raise out of death and bring life. So I will, Jesus says. I will die. Three days I will be dead. The end of Friday, all Saturday, the beginning of Sunday. And I'll be raised again to show that I can do what I said I'm going to do. And the call is here. As you hear the book of Jonah ring out over our ears now. Submit and surrender to our great Savior. Who wants our whole life. Who died to forgive the whole of our sin. That we might take the whole of that gospel. To even our enemies. To the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father I pray that in these moments you would make us whole.
you would make us whole and you would rip out bitterness and you would cause us to stand in awe of forgiveness. God, you would be merciful to us. Father, we know that we don't deserve your mercy. And yet you are so kind to give it for any who would call. And so, Father, I pray that you would protect us from trying to just work our way back into favor with you. I pray that you would protect us from trying to be the punisher of other people's faults. I pray that you would protect us from going after things that would destroy our hearts. Things. People. Elevating them too highly to where they have to be a Savior in order for us to be happy. Oh God, please, bring Yourself to the forefront of our eyes. Cause us to repent of our sin. May You be wholly ours. And oh God, as we will fail, we will fall short. Lord, help us to quickly turn from our sin that we might experience the wholeness of Your forgiveness and freedom that You promise us. And oh God, I pray that we would not be hardened like Jonah. We would not just sit on the good news of the forgiveness of our own badness, but God, that you would empower us, you would excite us, you would stir us, you would fill us with compassion and brokenness and a hurting that wants to take the good news to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to those in this city, to the nations. Father, please. May this message of Jonah make us missionaries where we are and to the ends of the earth. You are so gracious to us. Shock us with your mercy that we might shock others with our love. Your love through us. So Father, now as we take the Lord's Supper, may this be a sober and yet celebratory moment that sinners have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus if they turn from their sin and trust in you. We pray all this in Christ's name.